Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. you ready for this let's have some fun tonight let's do that thank you everybody for listening to episode 31 of the geoholics a podcast produced by and for geomatics professionals also known as uh we got a twofer here one to make me happy one to make shoots happy mike piazza and greg my childhood hero boys yes i know well aware and greg maddox Join the Geoholics fan club for every 10 bucks you donate to the Geoholics GoFundMe account, you'll receive a Geoholics wristband and have your name mentioned on the next podcast. By the way, our fan club donations have allowed us to purchase three new microphones. So hopefully the audio quality of this episode is an improvement from the last one. So just bear with us as we uh, get through this remote podcasting. But uh, anyways, thank you everybody for your, your donations. It's much appreciated. That opening number, of course, is Kolar's. The name of the song is Dangerous. They're husband and wife, Rob and Lauren. Uh, I've had a chance to meet both of them, and they're probably some of the, couple of the coolest people in the business, as they say. They have a self-titled record called Kolar's, and their music is, of course, available on Spotify, Apple Music, awesome videos on YouTube, super unique band with a very refreshing style, and like I said, just great people, so please check them out. Shout out to our friends of the program. Thanks for believing in us and your continued support. Well, first off, it's got to be Bad Elf with their GPS. You got to go check out their new Bad Elf Flex GNSS receiver at bad-elf.com slash flex. Lanceveres United, Justin Farrell has created a unique web-based community of over 17,000 surveyors and geomatics professionals from all over the world. Check them out at landsurveyorsunited.com. And then we cannot forget about Scott Ohana and Unifly. They're the one-stop UAV shop. Check out how they work uh, at unifli.aero. And we have Parkland College Land Survey Program in Champaign, Illinois. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag a little bit, but Corey Allred, who is our guest tonight, and his staff have developed a dynamic program suited for anyone interested in furthering their career as a land survey professional. Check out the program at parkland.edu forward slash surveying. Last but certainly not least would have to be Advanced Geodetic Surveys. They're an authorized Trimble dealer and service center selling new and used equipment, short long-term rentals, 24-7 support, even in these uh, trying times. Check them out at AS, or excuse me, AGSGPS.com. That's a lot of letters, boys. A lot of S's there. Uh, Here we are, another COVID social distancing episode, uh, special episode, I should say. No Studio One. No Helton, unfortunately. Um, so we are fully remote. And like I said the last couple of times, just have patience with us as we kind of work through this. It's a little tricky when everybody's remote. Um, I, think the, I think the addition of the new microphones is going to help out the audio quality. And we just uh, we, we appreciate you continuing to listen in these trying times. Let's catch up with the boys a little bit. Producer Jake, what's up, man? 
How's it going, you guys? I'm doing good. I just want to piggyback off that really quick too. So we were able to get those these three new microphones for our, our remote setups. So hopefully the uh, audio quality is better for you guys and just appreciate you guys donating and everything. That, so that way we can actually go out and get these and provide good quality during during being at home and during these, these kind of crazy, crazy times. So um, I think since the last episode, I think I've left my house once or twice. So I've just been hunk, kind of hunkering down at home Still am. Um, I was hoping Ryan actually knew something about this. I read an article today that see this. What's going on with the MLB? They want to have like the whole season here in Arizona. What's that about? Uh, that is one of the uh, possible options. I highly doubt it, though. To to ask these guys to leave their families for how long to just live in Arizona? Plus, and this was something I heard on sports talk radio. I can't take credit for it. They do realize that those outdoor stadiums, it does get to be like 120 degrees here in the summer. That's true. Are we yeah. expecting uh, those guys to keel over? Unless you're at Chase Field, everything else is going to be super, super hot. Yeah, and they were talking about they could do three teams like morning, afternoon, evening, but that's a lot of work in and out of the clubhouses. and Yeah, that, they're going to be exhausted. Dehydrated. A logistical nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In addition, I, I heard, you know, it would take like at least like 100 people per, per team at a minimum. So what is there, 30, 30 teams? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's like 3,000 people they have to put up in hotels downtown and, you know, get from point A to point B. Um, they're talking about like, you know, buying out, you know, restaurants and just letting it be for the players and, and the staff and everything. I mean, it would be a logistical nightmare. No doubt about it. Yeah. But it would <laughs> be kind of cool to see cool, it happen. Right? Yeah. yeah. It would be really cool. Yeah, but anyways, I just wanted to get a little insight on that because I I didn't I saw the headlines. I didn't really read into it, but I knew my uh, baseball friend Ryan here would would definitely know about it. So I would, I think uh, Arizona would greatly appreciate it economically, but yeah. yeah, I don't I can't imagine that there'd be like a tourist drive or anything because they're still not going to have people at the games. No, no, yeah, but the, put three thousand people up in a hotel that would definitely help our uh, economy here. That's true. Yeah. With everything going on. So yeah. Ryan, what, what are you doing? Uh, trying to not go stir crazy in my own home. We, I had to go out and buy bikes today for the family so we can get out and about with everybody that can't get to the gym. So they're all out running, jogging, biking, walking, you name it. They're doing it. I saw some people doing squats at the end of our street today. I was like, Oh, okay. Now it's uh the the gym is just our front lawn, but other than that, working, trying to keep it going, um, is getting interesting as far as we are in our industry considered essential, but it's definitely not thriving. So, gonna keep on keeping on. How about you, Kent? You sure that wasn't a couple homeless people just kind of taking a dump at the end of your street? It may have been. I do live in a terrible neighborhood. <laughs> oh, God. Um, what's up with me? Oh, I have one word. Instacart. <laughs> this is my new addiction. My new addiction. So uh, long story short, the lovely Megan, she, uh, you know, with this, this downturn, uh, unfortunately got let go from Social Hall. So we're not going to be back at Studio One. So let everybody know that. But in addition to that, while she's looking for work, she uh, and, and her and I both have been doing this Instacart. I don't know if anybody out there has heard about this, but 
it's this app and without going into a ton of detail, first of all, it's pretty freaking amazing. If you're into statistics and, um, you know, data anal, anal, what's the word I'm looking for? Analytics. Yeah, analytics. There you go. Um, this is, this could be for you. So basically what you do, and you have to like grocery shopping. I'm not saying I like grocery shopping, but I don't mind it. But with this Instacart app, you basically do grocery shopping and deliver the groceries for people who, um, you know, of course don't want to get out and go to the grocery store. Although the company has been out for uh, about four years. So it's a pretty successful company. And, you know, you basically make anywhere from say 20 bucks to the other day we did one together and made $75 in one run. So quite honestly, over the course of about four days, we made about 700 bucks just doing this Instacart thing. So while things are slow, I mean, obviously it does get, does require you to get out of the house and go to the grocery store, you know, and, and do the stuff that other people don't want to do, I guess. But um, it's, it's not a bad alternative to be honest with you. So if anybody out there is looking for something to do, check out, uh, check out Instacart. Other than that, um, not, not a whole lot really just, Kind of like uh, what Ryan said, you know, just trying to figure out how to you know, keep things going and uh, stay in touch with your clients and your coworkers and stuff like that. Um, and again, you know, not not being at Social Hall or 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 Helton, um, you know, this this is of course a COVID nineteen social distancing episode, as I mentioned before. And with that, let's let's move on to the safety share, safety apparel, safety share. Matthew Stansberry and his team have really reinvented the safety apparel producing the highest quality materials and most functional and versatile vests the safety industry has ever seen. Check out the, uh, the party chief vest first chance you get by going to safetyapparel.us. They are in fact the best vest on the planet. Safety share today, of course, is going to stay on the COVID-19 topic. Um, remaining sane and safe while social distancing. And there's about 10 bullet points here I'm going to go through. So it's going to get a little lengthy, but I think these are pretty important, especially under the circumstances that we're all in right now. First of all, maintain a routine as much as possible. Um, try not to let social distancing disrupt your sleep and you know your sleep patterns and your working hours and just daily activities. I know we talked about it last uh, last podcast where you know try to get up at the same time every day, get out, you know take a shower, get out of bed, and just kind of start your day like you normally would as much as possible. Um, make social distancing a positive by taking time to focus on your personal health. Like Ryan said, you know, there's people out everywhere, at least here in Phoenix, because the weather is beautiful right now. And they're walking, riding their bikes, running, you know, anything they can do outside, they're doing it. Uh, go for a walk or exercise at home. Again, go out and get in nature as much as possible. Um, you know, even before this happened, only about half of American adults got a, enough exercise. This is a big one. Don't let anxiety or being at home lead to binge eating or alcohol and drug abuse. That's that's a real, real issue right there, folks. Know that social distancing can cause anxiety and depression because of disruption to routines, isolation, and fear over the pandemic. If you know somebody who is experiencing either, make sure you let them know that help is available. Make the best use of technology to finish your work, attend meetings, and engage with coworkers with the same frequency required during active office hours. This is another good one. You know, even if you can, you try to make it a point to reach out to your coworkers. Some, you know, some that you used to see every single day, their offices are next to you, their cubes are out in front of your office, whatever. I mean, take a minute, just reach out and make sure they're doing okay. Um, what else here? Social distancing should not translate to an unhealthy life on social media. Again, 
have all this free time, at least you think you do. Um, don't spend it on Facebook and all the other stuff and definitely don't spend it watching news. That's just going to make you more depressed and check on, check your list of contacts, you know, on your email or phone, you know, people you haven't talked to in a while, reach out, just make sure they're doing okay. I guarantee you they would appreciate it, especially if they ever heard from you from a while, and especially your folks and, you know, older, older people that you know, it's really, really important during this time to, uh, to touch base with them, make sure they're doing okay. You guys got anything you want to add to that? It is odd that like I live within a couple miles of my family and I have barely spoken to them and, and we're used to seeing them, you know, every couple of days and it's been weeks now. So you do, you do start to feel this isolation as much as I love my, my wife and child. I, I, I think I need a little more human interaction than that. Yeah, always, always Instacart. Yeah, <laughs> well, kind of. Well, now, like when you go to the grocery store, everybody's got these masks on. I feel like we're, I feel like we're in a horror movie of some sort. I know it's crazy. It really. I'll, is. I'll, I'll bring out all the dark thoughts. You guys ready? Let's do it. <laughs> it, it just seems like, and then like you go on Netflix, and the number one movie is called Pandemic that everybody's watching. Oh yeah. Come on, what are, what are these people doing to themselves? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we're about five episodes into uh, the third season of Ozark. That's a pretty good show as well. Yeah, I just finished that too. Great, great, great ending. So buckle up for that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Not going to ruin it though. Yeah, not going to ruin it, but buckle up. All right, let's not, let's not leave our guests waiting anymore. As I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, our guest tonight is Corey Allred, and Corey is the Land Surveying Program Director at Parkland College in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, a couple little facts about Corey. He's born in Tinley Park, Illinois, so he's a South Sider. Uh, he attended Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, where he got his bachelor's and master's degree in civil engineering, and he attended NIU, where he got his PhD. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to uh, uh, say this correctly, but he, his dissertation was in quantitative morphometric analysis of terrestrial glacial valleys and the applications to Mars. We're going to get back what to did that. you just say to me? I, I know at least producer Jake has a lot of questions about that one. He spends his, spends his free time hanging with his kids, being outdoors, woodworking, and attending his kids' sporting events. He's a Bears fan and a White Sox fan. Um, actually, I think the White Sox have, well, who knows? I guess who knows if we're going to have a year or whatever. But prior to COVID-19, the White Sox were definitely uh, projected to do really, really well this year. Yeah, who'd you guys have a couple of months ago where he was picking the picking the socks to go to the series? Yep, yep, that's right. Oh, that was uh, Larry. Larry Colorado, that's right. Larry. Yep, yep. And last but not least, Corey has worked in the survey world for about twenty years, and he's a PLS in India, Indiana and Illinois. Has his Part One Hundred Seven certificate, and was awarded the IPLSA Young Survey of the Year in two thousand fifteen. Corey, thanks for being here, my friend. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. You bet, you bet. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. And uh, before we get into it, I want to thank you again for your support of the program. Much appreciated. Oh, absolutely. Happy, happy to do it. Uh, you guys are doing great things, and we want to support you in any way we can. I do want to clarify things like the woodworking. I'm not good. 
Um, I just like to try and build stuff. It never turns out the way it's supposed to. It doesn't look the way it's supposed to, but in the end, it kind of is functional. So that's it. I, I built a, a desk that I'm sitting at right now. That's like my crown achievement right nice. now. I, I don't do a lot of detail work, but um, nice. it looks nice at the end of the day. And it's like I said, it's functional and I, I can sit at it for hours at a time at this point. I thought you were going to tell me it looks good on the resume. <laughs> no, no, I wish uh, that one came from came from some grandparents. That's that's an heirloom in that one. Jeez, couldn't do that. No, you probably can't see all the beer glasses in there though, too. <laughs> very cool, very cool. All right, let's uh, let's find out a little more about you. Tell us about how you got started in surveying. I mean, obviously, you know, you attended SIU. I'm assuming you took the survey classes there with the. Uh, I think our mutual friend Roy Frank. Mm -hmm. um, well, I uh, how did, how I did, did it the same way everybody else did. To be honest, I I didn't go into surveying to be a surveyor. I didn't know anything about surveying. I jumped in because same as everybody, I had a friend, an uncle, a grandpa, whoever it was that introduced me. Um, the one benefit that I had here is that I went to school for civil engineering. I thought I wanted to be an engineer. And as engineers, you know, we had to take the basic surveying class and I found out pretty quickly, I liked surveying a lot better than I liked engineering. Uh, it just happens I went and got, you know, finished my degree in engineering, but I, I, was, I was a surveyor pretty much all the way. Uh, the other thing that definitely kind of helped was uh, my brother is also a surveyor. So we he was he was one of my my first teachers in college uh that was that was fun we were we were living together at the time um he was he was my teacher at the time there was a summer class i jumped in and so i had um geez skipping ahead several questions that was one of my first mentors i suppose that's all right but yeah uh that that was that helped quite a bit really kind of pushed me into it you know he never said you need to be a surveyor but I always like being outside. I don't, I don't like sitting at a desk. And fortunately that's exactly where I find myself most of the time right now, but I like being outside and doing all that. And it's surveying just seemed like a good, a good fit for all that stuff. You bet. What was your first survey job? It was a company in uh, near Joliet, a uh, company called Cedar. Uh, geez. Um, uh, name escapes me right now, but um, man, I, I started there and that was my first gig. I was there winter breaks, um, summer breaks. And I remember my first day I, I had to be the same as most, most greenhorns. I suppose uh, the crew that I was with wanted probably nothing to do with me. In fact, they told me to, here's a locator, go look for bee boxes and, and see if you can find those. And here's a paint can, see if you can find them, go up and down the block. You know, that, looking back, that was essentially get out of my hair for several hours so I can do my job. <laughs> uh, you mentioned your brother. He works at Atwell. He does. Yeah. That's he's right? he's yep. in Atwell. Uh, funny enough, when I was working in Lyle, Lyle, Illinois, West Burbs for a period, uh, man, we were five minutes apart. We were both surveyors. You would think we'd see each other and spend all sorts of time together. And yeah. it, we never got a chance. We, we both lived opposite directions. We both have families and everything else. So end of the day, it was get home and get dinner on the table and, um, make sure that we can we can get going every once in a while i had to drop something off so i'd go over to his office but that was that was about it you would so yeah he were he works at atwell and doing very well there from what i understand 
Yeah, that's great. That's great. Did you ever work for any companies in Southern Illinois? I didn't. Um, I got to know a handful of folks down there because as a student, I was involved with the uh, state association, Illinois Professional Land Surveyors Association, at least that local chapter down there. So I worked with a, a handful of companies down there. I never worked for any of them. Um, I, I went down there, I went to school and then breaks. I was either teaching at you know, like a summer break. I was teaching classes or I would shoot home uh, back up to Tinley Park and, and work there. So I didn't get a chance to work down there, but I took took the classes and was teaching and spent spent a lot of time on the water. Where I lived, you could I could load the boat up and be on the water in about 15 minutes, and I, I missed that. Nice. Did you do some bass fishing? You know, I, I'd love to tell you I fished for something specific. I was I was happy putting the line in the water and floating around and see what I could get. If, if something caught, cool. If not, I more than likely was going to enjoy the beer that I was sitting next to and um, just enjoy being out there in the peace and quiet and, you know, get out of, I, I say the hectic life. It's not like Carbondale was real hectic. It was just a bunch of students and, and having a good time, but uh, just being something about being out in the water and, and, and being where it's quiet. And I, I, would like to get back to that uh do a little bit more fishing if i can geez hopefully now i have all sorts of time on my hands since we can't go anywhere <laughs> yeah uh i'm curious did you ever cross paths with uh mitch garrett down there yeah absolutely uh i know mitch um worked with him a little bit on a project maybe here and there. I can't remember anything specific, but we, we definitely know of each other. And then he is still pretty active within the state association as well as I am too. So we'll, we'll see each other at the, uh, at the conferences every, you know, every year, make sure to say hi and talk for a bit. So Mitch is a good dude. He is. He is. He's definitely got great intentions and He's got some great ideas. I worked for him at Shawnee Survey for about four years before moving back to Chicago. Um, but it was a great experience. And uh, like you said, he, he's a great guy and um, you know, definitely has his heart in the right place when it comes to the profession, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's a good dude to know. And uh, like you said, he, he definitely cares about the profession. So he's pushing it. Yep. Tell us about that dissertation. Uh, it's just a lot of big words put together. I mean, that's that's academia in itself is see if you can make up words that kind of sort of fit together, put them in a sentence and see if it goes. So quantitative morphometric analysis, really all that means is numbers looking at the way land moves. Uh, and then glacial valleys is doing, looking at uh, the way that glaciers shape the valley itself and then applying that kind of knowledge to Mars. So it turns out that Mars maybe didn't look exactly like we have here, but it used to be wet, used to be green, used to be an ocean, um, almost in the whole northern half. And there used to be rivers and all that stuff. And that was about three billion years ago-ish. Um, and so there's still a lot of water out there. There's not a lot of atmosphere to keep it in like we have here, but there's, there's, there's water there. And so we're seeing signs of that and one of the things what I specifically looked at was can we can we show that there's uh, there's ice up there at least there was ice at one time if there's ice there's water and if there's water we can live there that's the theory anyway so it was it was uh, that was really cool I, I, I wrote or I 
took part in a couple of wrote some computer programs that looked at a, a DEM specifically and picked out whether or not a glacier or a, a valley was glaciated whether it was formed by glaciers or by rivers and then kind of tuned that so that it, it could pick out with relative confidence that it was either glaciated or fluvial that's a bit another big word there I should have put that in the sentence or in the uh, uh, title somewhere and then um, because Earth and Mars really are very, very similar, we were able to take that model that works well on Earth, apply it to Mars, and prove that there was, at one point, at least glaciers on Mars. Wow. So the fact that Jake, producer Jake, actually owns land on Mars, lakefront property, do you think it's going to have value at any point? Absolutely not. Not 100%. I'm you 100% wasted your 50 bucks. Now I'm not going to lie. I did the same thing because I had to. Hopefully um, it's not a, a glacier. I don't know if I can build on top of a glacier. I'm supposed to have my house there. Well, I'll tell you what, as long as you're not in the uh, North and the South pole, you are going to be fine. Don't worry about it. There's, Perfect. there's actually, there's, there's proof or there's imagery that shows not necessarily running water, but even the imagery we can see now at such high definition shows differences in the landscape there. So you may in fact have that oceanfront property. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be producer Jake farms. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe maybe some farmland too. get some crops going. I can tell you, I never really intended on getting into Mars as far as research goes, but uh, my advisor, Dr. Way low, he, he delve into it. He got into a little bit. And man, I'm like, well, if I'm going to do something, I, I got to do, I got to do this. This sounds awesome. The other thing is, is you do something on earth and people can check it. They can check your measurements. You, you go up to Mars. There's about four people that know you're bullshitting. So <laughs> it's, you know, I'm like, this is a safe way to go. I'm, I'm hopefully not going to get called out too much on this. <laughs> do you follow uh, Elon and the starship and everything pretty closely or? I don't. I wish I did a little bit more. Um, you know, I I do uh, a lot of podcasts these days um, or books on tape or something. So I, I honestly don't even listen to the radio and listen to live radio or the news as much as possible simply because it's kind of depressing a lot of days. So I'd rather listen to podcasts all day and listen to you guys. I think I'm pretty much caught up on most of your episodes uh, a couple of other ones, but you know, I, I kind of pay attention to the headlines as far as what's going on. Um, the Rover, that was a, that's a pretty big deal because of all the science it's doing. So I, I pay attention a little bit there, but, um, I don't, uh, not a whole lot. Why, what's the new happenings with Elon and all that? He's just got the starship and it's doing like the engine testing you see like renderings of it. It's like that really like chromey. It's, I think it's like some sort of stainless steel, um, composite that it's made out of, but just like all of his plans for it and how he's given like this time frame. I, I don't know exactly off the top of my head what the timeline is, but he's saying it's relatively close. Um, Didn't he come up with, with a pickup truck too to to get up to Mars? Yeah, if he's you want got, to call that a pickup truck. Yeah, he's got that that Cybertruck too, and then he launched one of the Tesla Roadsters that orbited Earth a few times, and it was supposed to go and orbit Mars, but. Yeah, I did see that. So, I think he's like, 
he's into the gimmicky stuff of it, but I think it, it, it works in a way because it brings attention to it. And sometimes it's something that maybe we wouldn't have been talking about before. But then when he puts a $100,000 sports car into orbit, it gets people talking and gets, gets eyeballs on it. So yes, it's gimmicky, but at least it, it provides some attention. Uh, I'm with you. Well, maybe this COVID thing is kind of the next, or maybe good training. Cause from what I understand, it takes about nine months to travel there. So if we got to be isolated for a little bit, maybe this is training for people to get into a space shuttle and, and hop on up to Mars. I am definitely not signing up for that one. No, I'd go on a heartbeat. Oh, uh, would that's Mars? crazy. No way. <laughs> Easily a heartbeat. I'd be up there. Yeah, I agree. I barely you got to go see your property, hours. right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. That looks like those property corners. <laughs> <laughs> got an acre. I think it's an acre. Yeah. I don't think I splurged for the five. I think I just got you the one. Oh yeah, I should I should get some more now. <laughs> Double down my investment. Yeah, I'm sure everybody's going to be picking that one up. Definitely, definitely. All right, uh, Corey, you mentioned your brother was one of your uh, one of your mentors. Is there anybody else you want to make sure you mention? Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. My brother being, I, I reached out to my brother, uh, when I was first getting into this, cause where, 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 where can I go? Or really, I just need a job. What do you know? And I ended up following him a few different places. Didn't mean to, but it just kind of worked out. And one of the places we both worked was a, uh, a company in Aurora, uh, Pete Blazer. He was, he was the surveyor in charge there and it still is. And he was a, he was a great dude to work for. He was the kind of guy that, um, when we were slow, because that was, that was the worst time to be a surveyor. It was 08, 07, 08, right in there. And when we were slow, he paid me, maybe he didn't know he did this a lot, but he paid me to train myself. So I'd go through the old files. I'd find old field data and I would try to recreate the boundary and see how I did it. Uh, and there was a lot of times he'd pull up a chair sit right behind me and say, this is what we're doing and here's how we're doing it. So Pete was a great dude to work for. He's got quite a pedigree. I ended up working for another guy, Mike Bittner, a little bit later. And there was a lot of Simconians that came out of that company. So there was a lot of, um, a lot of people have great respect for, for Pete. I worked for a couple of, couple of guys that used to work for him, in fact. So he, he was a good dude, to, uh, good dude to know and a nice guy to have on your side. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how and there aren't a there aren't a ton, are not a ton of good mentors out there, but the ones that are out there and the ones that take pride in doing it, um, you know, they they definitely spawn some good surveyors. And then those same surveyors realize the importance of mentorship, and then they hopefully are going to do the same thing and continue to pay it forward. So. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's why I, I'm not saying I'm the best by any means, but uh, we had a relatively young guy that made chief pretty quickly and um i don't think he had a lot of experience doing section work so you know we drove out to indiana one day uh, i think it was maybe a three-hour trip out there we we did some work we ended up hiking through the woods and using our best resources and then uh you know he, he was he was a good he, he knew what he was doing and but I, I took the opportunity one to get out of the office and go walk through the woods and do the stuff we'd like to do but two to try and show him what i know and and do things a little bit differently we ended up finding um center of section in the middle of woods i don't know how i mean it's just crazy the way we were able to find it and walked out there with our gps and able to get a, a good enough shot on it to uh, 
um, do what we needed to do. So, yeah, like I said, I'm not saying I'm the best it, 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 by any means at mentoring or doing all that, but we learned pretty quickly that the young guys just need that help. And they, they we, we have a bit of experience that we can play off of. You know, I feel like I'm, I don't know, it feels like I'm still young in the profession. I've been looking at this, I guess I've been doing this for almost 20 years. I didn't realize that. I still feel like I've certainly got a lot to learn and I feel like I could definitely um, be mentored a bit, but it's nice to be able to work with that too. And maybe that's why I like teaching so much because I can try and impart some of that knowledge on whatever I do have with limited amount and onto some of the students had um, as much as possible. Yeah, no, I think you said that great. And um, I'd take it one step further and say that, you know, surveying is definitely one of those things that if you allow yourself, um, and that goes back to being, you know, humble, you can learn something new every day. You really yeah. can. And once you start assuming you know it all, that's when something comes back and bites you in the ass every single time and never fails, you know. It's a very humbling profession. There's no doubt about it. Oh, absolutely. So I got I to gotta tell you a quick story here kind of related to that. Um, I came out of school. I had a, a bachelor's and a master's degree in civil engineering and a degree in land surveying. As far as I knew, I was king shit as far as surveying goes. So the guy I was working with, I and Pete did a great job um, putting me with guys that I was able to learn from. I think he was he kind of saw I'd be able to do do that quickly, learn and pick up stuff. So um, I worked with a guy named Jerry for a couple of years, and the first day I was out with Jerry, he. Uh, he said, all right, we're going to go over here. We're going to topo this little bit. You know how to do that. I'm like, man, I know how to do that. He goes, yeah, you do. I said, sure. Absolutely. He says, cool. Here's the button you push. Here you go. Go to it. It took me about 20 minutes to realize I didn't know shit. And I'm, I'm glad that I had that experience real quick because yeah. that was, that was humbling. And from then on, it was, okay, what can I learn? And, and how can you, how can I pick up everything that you know? so that we can do this better together. Yeah, no, well said for sure. Um, so you mentioned you've been in the profession for plus or minus 20 years. Um, you, even, I mean, 20 years is a long time, don't get me wrong, but what, what, what technological advancements stick out in your mind and uh, you know, how, have they, how have they affected the profession for the better or for the worse? Uh, the easy answer is a robot, uh, but honestly, we had robots when I started working. So, and um, I know that that it certainly hasn't had, and not, not everybody's had them. But that's that's not the thing. And GPS, even it used to be though, where we had to set up a base every every place we go. Now we hit F seven, we dial into something on in our pocket, and and we go. Um, you know that's 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 a big thing i think scanning uh scanning and drones those are the easy answers right mm -hmm. there but those are certainly coming along and those are changing things maybe not as much as um maybe not as much as we think they should or can and it's getting there i think that technology is just a little bit new um those are tools and i'm as guilty as anybody else that flies a drone or does any scanning and admittedly i don't do a lot of i don't do any scanning but uh, the first thing I always wanted to do is I want to throw a drone at it because, man, that's just cool to do. I want to put it up in the air and I want to fly this thing. But 
we have to realize very, very quickly that that is a tool. It's not going to do everything that you think it's going to, and you have to use it in the right way. And you really have to know how and why you're using it. Uh, so those are the, those are the easy answers, but I, like you had to go through school with Roy where he taught us to throw a chain. And for a long time when I was at NIU, I made every one of the students throw a chain and I, I told them day one, you're not going to need to know how to do this one bit, but damn it, I had to do it and so are you. And man, is it cool to know how to do this. Yep. So, uh, you know, throwing chains and using transits. I never got to use them professionally, fortunately, I suppose. But I sure know how to use it now and I used it. I even made, like I said, the students do it when I was at NIU. We had that, uh, had that availability. And so every one of them was pulling chains, using plumb bobs and turning, turning angles with transits. So uh, looking at where that is at to where we're at now, oh, that's, that's leaps and bounds all the way. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm sure Shoots has got something to say about drone usage. I, I I have my opinions about them, but uh, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. But I'm, I'm like curious, Corey, though. Th somebody like Corey that actually is a surveyor and can use them appropriately, I can respect that. And the fact that even he says it's a tool and realizing that they can be oversold is very important. And I hope that most people know that. Unfortunately, it most people don't know that and they believe <laughs> that they can do everything, but... Well, I, I'd love to hear your opinion on that. We could probably spend the next three or four hours uh, <laughs> bitching about that. I will say I had the opportunity, the incredible opportunity to work with a, a CP, a photogrammetrist at a company. And, you know, he, he was in charge of our drone stuff for a bit, but he taught me how to, he, he taught me the right way of doing things, I think, as far as drone technology goes and as far as ground control, what we can, what we can't do, um, the way that we integrate our checks into it. So I think having that experience, being able to work with a photogrammetrist and say, okay, here's how you do it from, you know, a couple thousand feet in the air and here's how we do it from a couple hundred feet in the air. It's same process, very, very different process at the same time. So... Uh, that was that was hugely beneficial, I think, just to kind of realize, yeah, you can't do this. It, it's not the perfect tool all the time. And he he tried to learn me how to try to learn me. Look at me, I'm educated. Uh, he tried to teach me how to do production. You know, the funky 3D glasses and the crazy thumb wheel. I don't know. I don't know what the heck that thing was. And I did it what I thought I was right. And he hopped on and he looked at me. He's like, dude, you are 20 feet in the air. What are you even looking at right now? <laughs> We'll we'll say that's an acquired taste. You definitely uh you get used to it, and once you get the hang of it, you're off to the races. So, uh, somebody like yourself that has this this background in in teaching from somebody like that, obviously you're you're well versed, well knowledge in it. And again, I cannot emphasize enough the fact that even you say it has its proper applications here and there, and and it's not the best solution for everything speaks volumes. And again, I'm not going to go that three or four hours down the, the complaining highway of that as much as uh, old Delphi wants me to. <laughs> yeah. It no, is important to know that th there are limitations. With there are, anything. you can't do massive amounts of data. I mean, uh, we're involved with 
the uh, countywide mapping right now. Parkland is doing the ground control points for three counties here in central Illinois. We got, we're lucky to get enough to get involved with that. You can't do that with a drone. There, there's no way, not feasible. Uh, so we're able to, we're, we're setting ground control for them or at least going out and finding photo identifiable points. But you know, I, what I would do with a drone is very different than what you do from a plane. So there's a bunch of spots where I, I've got a student working on it. He'll send me a picture and say, this is my point. This is what we're using. And I'll shift it back over to the aerial company and say, is this, is this what, is this good enough? Because from a drone standpoint, it may not work for me, but you guys are able to use that stuff a lot better. So um, I'm still learning quite a bit on that on that end too. Um, on that topic, I'm curious: Does Illinois have any statutes in place or anything like that that um, apply to drone mapping specifically that you're aware of? Yeah, they do. And man, if I was uh, on my feet, I would know about that. So. I did, I presented at the Illinois conference last year and this year, and this year I did two hours on drone technology. So, but not necessarily, you know, th that there's a, there's a presentation that I feel is getting old or stale out there is you can use these for this and you can get this quality. I think most of us that are interested in that stuff have seen that already. So I took it a little bit different direction. I, I looked at it from a, a legal standpoint and different laws. And so the only reason I happen to know that Illinois does is that there's one or two laws in Illinois that deal specifically with it uh, as far as drone usage. Um, I know in Indiana, one that, that just for whatever reason I remember, you can't use it to um, aid in hunting. I'm like, well, what the heck are you going to do with that? You know, you can't go out and shoot Bambi with it. Turns out you can. You can actually put a gun on these things and you can have it do what you need to do. But I think the intent there was that it, you don't help. You, you, or maybe you don't use it to scout stuff. I don't know. But anyway, I know Illinois does, and I could definitely find that if I were to take a couple minutes and look through my stuff. No, that's okay. I was just curious. Um, I know Illinois, uh, Illinois has become pretty progressive, really. And I know from what I understand, and you'll – be able to uh, educate us a little bit on this. They also are implementing a apprenticeship type program. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, State Association IPLSA is uh, spearheading that, and it is. You know, you guys have asked it however many times on this exact show: is how do we get people into this? What do we do differently? Well. Maybe we, maybe we approach it from an apprenticeship kind of standpoint. Now, the only thing with that is when I hear apprenticeship, I think union. And there's not a whole lot of union surveyors here in Illinois unless you get near Chicago. Uh, we are generally not part of unions. I'm not saying that there aren't some that are. But this is not associated with the union. It doesn't necessarily have to be in a union to be an apprenticeship. So it's a two-year gig. You, you start... Um, and we do kind of the way it's supposed to be set or the way it's set up is you do like a two week boot camp, and there's varying ways that we want to go about doing that where the intent on this whole thing is for somebody that's uh, maybe maybe somebody's got a, a friend that's in high school, just you know maybe junior senior and looking for a summer gig. And so, but they don't know anything about how to set up equipment. They don't know anything about how to use this equipment. So this, this whole thing is to kind of get, to get them up and going in the survey community um, 
just from the basics. So there's about a two week boot camp that they start with it when that's literally setting up, tearing down, you know, that, that's the, the kind of stuff we do. That, that was my first, maybe not my first day, but my first gig, I stood behind a gun for stood behind an instrument for eight hours. And that was how most of us, I think started in this industry. Uh, and then, you know, we, it's, you, you go and, you do certain amount of work experience or you, your company sponsored, which is fantastic because mm-hmm. that means that the student I'm going to call the applicant actually doesn't pay for any of this. The, the, there's companies that are going to pay for you to go through this apprenticeship program. And in, so in doing that, they're probably going to pay you to go to work too, because part of it is you need, I want to say it's something like 400 hours of uh, on-the-job training, OJT. And and then in the meantime, when things get a little slower, at least hypothetically slower in the, the fall, the win- in the winter, uh, Parkland was lucky enough to get involved with, we are the education provider of that. So what, they, what you do is uh, we have a hybrid courses, and we can get into that here shortly, but we're essentially set up for online learning with on-campus visits once a month. And so what we do is what we did was we took that idea and then applied it to this apprenticeship and say, okay, well, we can do this. We can take what we know how to do pretty well here as far as online learning and apply it to this. And so we can offer the, uh, we can offer the education and then the companies who are sponsoring these applicants then can offer the on the job training. And at the end of two years, you walk away with two years of education. You walk away with it's either nine or 12 college credits. I can't remember. I think it's nine college credits, which is pretty good because uh, you got to have 24 here in Illinois. So, you know, you're on the way to getting it if you want to pursue licensure and you've made some money and learned a bunch on the road to doing it. So, um, you know, I, it's, it's a good idea yeah, we're just rolling it out. But when we rolled it out here and I say, we, I will admit, I am not necessarily on the forefront of this, um, a, a gentleman by the name of Todd Horton, he's who I am taking the program director role from and that doesn't mean that he's moving on that just means he's got uh, interest in the construction world so his office actually is right next to me he's the, the program director for construction and i <clears throat> he was doing both for a long time and he did both of them very very well after every almost every one of these ideas that i'm throwing out there is is his baby so um you know, Todd has done fantastic with the program and the instructors that he has working and he's brought in have done, been doing fantastic things. So while I'm not totally into the apprenticeship yet, I'm just kind of getting my feet wet. They've been working on this for, geez, a couple of years, I think already. Uh, and I'm just getting my feet into it here, but I'm super excited about it. I think it's one going to bring people into the, the survey world that we, that we don't know. And, uh, to it gives us an opportunity to educate even more people. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Is it offered uh, at different locations throughout the state, or how 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 do the logistics? About we were it? playing with that a little, that idea a little bit, um, and maybe we haven't narrowed, or we haven't fully fleshed out all of those kind of things yet. But I, that's one thing that I'm kind of interested in doing is we are we've got an advantage because we're centrally located within the state here, but. 
you know, most people are north of us. So maybe we can have some classes up there too. And it's a, a good way to do it. I will say from even at the farthest corners of Illinois to campus here in Champaign, it's only two, two and a half hours. So it's a pretty easy drive uh, for anybody to hop on and get into. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. We, uh, we attempted to do something along those same lines here in Arizona and it kind of fizzled out a little bit. I maybe it just wasn't the right time, but you know, it may be, I mean, I, I think it's a fantastic idea and it might be that once you guys get something up and rolling, it can be used as a model for other states to implement because, um, you know, honestly, I think that's probably the, uh, the low-lying fruit or the best way to, you know, to, to get people involved. And I know a lot of times people hear apprenticeship, they automatically think, well, that means we're a trade then, we're not a profession. If we have an apprenticeship, you know, some, that's just the way some people's minds think, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm on the same page as you, and I, I think that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great way to get people in, in, involved in the profession, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty excited about it. I hope I I'm I we're I believe we're going to be successful. We've got great minds behind this, and um, I think we'll, it'll work pretty well, as well as it can be. We got to do something different, right? Yep, no doubt about it. About that's definitely one of the challenges that we're facing right now. And of course, you know, with this whole COVID nineteen thing, um, we've got an episode actually coming out tomorrow that was kind of like a roundtable discussion that focused solely on COVID-19 and how it's going to affect the profession, how it is affecting already and how it could potentially affect the, pro the uh, profession going forward. So another reason why a program like that could pay huge dividends really because if what happened in 2008 could potentially happen again in you know 2020, meaning we lose some surveyors because of what's happening with COVID-19, we're going to need a way to get other surveyors, new surveyors in the pipeline. So, um, yeah, it's interesting that as the economy goes down, our numbers go up. You know, as far as education goes, and you're never hoping for what that's going to happen. But when colleges all over the country are closing doors because of low enrollments, uh, well, I guess we'll take any advantage we can get. So, certainly not hoping for any economic downturn. I think there's no way we're going to avoid it. I don't know what degree it's going to happen with this COVID nineteen thing. But, um, you know, like I said, our numbers seem to go up because people are, are moving in different directions or um, you know, lost their job or whatever it might be. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's it's something that we, we we're definitely ready for. Yeah, no doubt. Have you thought about incorporating like the CST exam into the apprenticeship program? Like after the first year, they could take the CST one or something yeah. like that? Yep. And in fact, we are working on, we've been kicking around even how to incorporate that into our regular curriculum. Yeah. I know that's one thing that a lot of survey uh, schools do, and we just haven't, haven't really pulled the trigger on that yet, but we do. So I think at the end of the two years, they will be certainly uh, eligible to take the CST. And then, so you walk out of there with uh, a, f a formal education to an extent. You walk out of there with a, a, at least a CST1, maybe even a CST2, depending on how you, how deep you want to get into it. Yep. And then you walk out of there with a industry-recognized certificate. Yeah, those are three really good things to have in your resume when you're looking for a job. But of course, as it is now, who knows what it'll be. Um, there, it's relatively easy to find a job as a surveyor. I, you know, I, students ask me, what do you got to do? My first answer is show up, <laughs> just yeah. be there. 
That's what we're looking for right now is somebody's looking for a student. Somebody's looking for somebody that's going to be there is willing to learn, but also knows when to shut up. Yep. Uh, That person can uh, pretty much write their ticket. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, I was teaching and we had a, a company come in in one class and they were telling us all about, you know, the advantages and working in the industry. And it wasn't even a survey company. It was a construction class. It was a construction company. And uh, I had, they left and a couple of the students go, man, why am I not working in the industry? Why am I a server at whatever it was, whatever restaurant it was? And I said, I ask that all the time. Why are you not putting out your resumes and getting, you know, you probably make good money as a server, I'm sure, as a server, as a waiter doing, doing this. But uh, if you're looking to get into this industry, why are you sitting on your hands right now? Yeah. Yeah. On that note, let's, uh, let's talk just a little bit about the land survey program at Parkland college. Um, tell us, you know, just kind of briefly who it's suited for and you know, how, how I guess how it's modeled. And yeah. The- uh, so we have, almost two tracks from at Parkland. One of those is the conventional. It's the uh, Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock class and the, the Friday lab at eight o'clock. Um, and that suits some people, but it, not everybody, you know, it's not like when uh, we went to school. I don't know, Jake, I guess you're probably certainly the youngest one here. You've been in school the most recently. It, going to school Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 10 o'clock for suits some, but it's not for everybody. So we, but we do offer that option. Uh, one of the more, the other most popular track, I guess I'll call it that we have, we call the weekend land survey program. And so what that is, is what I was talking about earlier. It's a hybrid program, hybrid curriculum where most of the material is online. Uh, Todd and uh, the other instructors have put together a bunch of lectures and but that's the kind of thing like here's the math problem you do and here's the uh, here's how you calculate the angles that's the kind of stuff you can follow along but I I say surveying is doing sport this is something you can't watch a video and learn how to do so what we do then for each one of the classes is once a month about every four weeks we come to campus and it's for a Saturday and Sunday and it's a marathon day. It's not easy, but it's eight o'clock to six o'clock Saturday, eight to noon, 1230 on Sunday. And it's, it's all day, you know, but what we do then is we do those labs that would typically be Friday from nine to 12 for the, throughout the semester. We rock those out in a weekend and we're finding that it one, um, it certainly suits the people that are working. You know, what we've seen, the biggest influx so far has been the guys that are in the field working every day and just can't get to a Tuesday morning class because who has that kind of time on their hands? So they do this stuff and it's work. You know, you got to give up some nights and weekends to, to do it, but you also are able to continue on professionally and keep going. And then uh, we once a weekend come and we do all the labs. And so what we found was it was actually quite a bit more productive. You think about it, you go out to a job site and you're only out there for three hours. By the time you even get into it, you're an hour into it. You know, by the time you get into the job, you're an hour in. So that's how the labs were too. Well, what we're finding is we can go out, we talk for a while and 
then we head out in the field we start doing the labs you'd break for lunch you leave the equipment set out or you you know you take it down whatever you need to the the stuff you need to be super careful with you leave it out there if you can and then you go back out so we're a lot more productive than a three-hour lab once a week we're doing one weekend and getting a lot more done or at least the, the same amount so the other nice thing about it is kind of advertise it as 24 hours in 24 months um, we basically <clears throat> kind of shorted we accelerated the classes and again I say we this was this was um, put in place a little bit before I got there but what we did was accelerated the courses so some of the courses are eight weeks some of them are 11 12 weeks uh, none of them are 16 weeks that's a standard semester and so you're you're getting through the, the 24 hours in 24 months and but in my opinion one of the reasons i was really excited about this job is parkland has made a um has done very well and they've got a good name as far as survey education goes. So even though the courses are online, even though it's an accelerated program, the content is there and the education is still there. And I think that's the most important, you know, we were kind of debating on how to do some of this stuff as far as uh, online learning and distance learning now that we've had to do for a few weeks. And I was going to try and put some videos up and everything. And uh, somebody said to me, if it's not going to benefit the student, don't even try it figure something else out. So that kind of mentality is is all through. Certainly our department is we are there for the students first. And if we're not going to give the best education, it's not worth doing. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. What do you um what do you think the the somebody who's interested in becoming a surveyor, what do you think are the best qualities for them to have? <laughs> Show up, no one to shut up. <laughs> you yeah. know be there um, and just ask questions, but don't act like you know what you're doing. Uh, and I think I've already explained that. That's the, the mistake I certainly made, but I'm happy I made that mistake because it took me just a little bit of time for somebody to put me in my place. Um, you know, as far as technical know-how, I think we can, most of us can learn how to uh, push the right buttons. And I'm certainly not advocating for being a button pusher, but we can learn how to use the equipment uh, math skills certainly help, but I don't think it's a necessity. I've, I've helped students that um, math is certainly not their strong suit and we work at it. We find different ways to approach it and we can get through it. So uh, surveying, you know, you hear all over the place how this COVID-19 thing is perfect for surveyors because we are, we, we are by ourselves all day, but um, you still have to know how to talk with people. I don't think you can do any job at any point these days and not have to deal with people, whether it be on, on a job site, you might have to deal with a contractor. What do you need? What do you want? How do you want to get there? And when do you want it? Or when do you need it? And the answer is always yesterday, of course, but so you got to have a little bit of personal skill, but even that, you know, we are, there's a lot of days we're walking around the woods by ourselves too, or at least with one other guy. So uh, I, I think, the ability to show up, just have the, have the perseverance, have the want to do a job. That's the biggest thing right there. Yep. Yep. And uh, work ethic, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like I said, ask questions, want to learn, want to know how to do it, but uh, no one to stop talking to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back a little bit. 
And when you said your first job was in Aurora, Illinois, correct? Juliet. Did you work with uh, Wayne Campbell and Garth Algar? Uh, no, I did not, unfortunately. <laughs> Never even visited the donut shop. Did, did Jake even get that reference that I just made? Not at all. All right. <laughs> what, what was it? That's Wayne's World, man. <clears throat> oh, yeah, I know those guys. Oh, those, you know, from yeah. ancient history. Yeah. <laughs> Well, going back in time, like I said, with that first job and all that, uh, the usual question of what would you tell your younger self looking back now? Um, you don't have to have all the answers. You know, it's okay to say I don't know. And I think I've, I've learned that through teaching is if you don't know, say you don't know. It's, it's okay to not know. It, you, you, now, from my end, my next move is I don't know, but I will find out for you. And that's an opportunity for me to learn something a little bit more too. Yeah. Good point. Almost kind of just be humble. Yeah, I think so. What, uh, what, what are you excited about next? What's coming down the pipe that uh, keeps you motivated? Um, professionally, I suppose it's the opportunity to work with students more uh, so I moved into this position. I was, I was working Northern Illinois, uh, teaching at Northern Illinois University and working professionally in Naperville. And um, it was getting to be a lot to try and juggle both sides. So what I'm personally excited about is waking up every day, doing the same job and doing it well. And I'm excited to be able to work with the students all day and, and help the students get through. You know, we're right now we're going through um, our advising for next fall already and talking with the students and helping them come up with a, a course of, of plan is exciting for me as a program director and as an instructor because um, that, that's it's it's fun to help help the students get through. And, you know, and even towards the teaching side of it is. I like to, I, I don't know a lot. There's a lot that I don't know, but a little bit that I do know, I like to share. And so it's fun to have students kind of have that aha moment, you know, oh, that's why we do this. Yeah. And my, I guess my, uh, my personal take on teaching, my teaching philosophy is a lot of not necessarily setting you up to fail, but I will happily watch you fail because I know in the end you're going to learn a lot more by failing than you are by me telling you all day how to do something. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we put some tricks and stuff into some of our stuff because it makes you think. And, and back to your other question uh, about what a surveyor student or what somebody needs to know how to do is be able to think a little bit. And that's something that uh, I struggle with and I try to get my students to do now is we are so used to answers at our fingertips. All I got to do is Google something on my phone and I have the answer. Nobody wants to think through the process anymore. So we do quite a bit of that kind of stuff, you know, critical thinking. That's, that's a huge thing. And I think we as surveyors certainly have to have. Absolutely. How many kids are in the program right now? Or students, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I say kids all the time. I yeah. mean, there's, it, and it's a, it's a, a problem because there's some people that have been doing this longer than I have and older than I have, older than I am. Uh, right now we have roughly 40, uh, majority of that, probably 80% in the weekend program, but 
uh, it is, you know, it's growing and that's good. That's great. How many yeah. of those, how many of those people are currently working in the survey world? Great majority. Um, almost every one of them that's coming in for the weekend program is working. And so that's one of the challenges that we face is that we have these companies that are just banging down the door. I need people. And, um, you know, one of the things that I will often have the conversation with is I am more than happy to point anybody at your, to you, but you got to understand that most of our students are tied to a company right now. In a lot of cases, in, in my opinion, the right way to do it is the company is paying for them to go back to school because that's going to better the company. So um, a great majority of them are definitely, uh, are definitely tied to a company, unfortunately or fortunately. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, with all the, the teaching and knowledge that you impart on these children, with besides the... Children. Uh, I'm sorry? Children. <laughs> well, adults, students, uh, kids, I don't know. One of, these things, one, of the, one of these adjectives, all right? They're people. How about that? Um, <laughs> besides show up and shut up, is there another mantra that you have to impart this wisdom mm. that you've achieved? Yeah, and acquired. it's not even anything good or original, but it's do the right thing. But I'm only going to add do the right thing even when no one's looking. Ah, integrity. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we as surveyors, we have the opportunity because – there's only, you know, if we get into a boundary, we get into a situation, we could easily potentially bury the answer if we, if we did something wrong. Yeah. And I think a big part of what we do is we have morals, we have ethics as, as professionals. And so we have to do it even though it's not going to ever be caught if it were to be found out. So do the right thing even when no one's looking. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one. So I came up with this question today. We've never used it. Um, what would your autobiography be called? <laughs> um, that's a great question. And man, you know, it, it, of the ones that I was kind of expecting, that one threw me for a loop. I'm not going to lie to you. But I think my autobiography would be life and times of an overqualified surveyor. <laughs> or trials and tribulations or stupid shit I've done. Yeah. Uh, that one's already taken by me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great one. I love it. Uh, well, I, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun in college, so I, I think I could feel, you know, like I said, stupid shit I've done. Was the, uh, was the tap open when you were in Carbondale? Was yeah. That, what was the go-to bar, the American tap or... Yeah, you want the one that all the students went to, which I generally, I guess, stayed away from, uh, Sidetracks and Pinchpenny Pub. Those were really popular when I was there. Uh, those are both now gone, torn down, That's which is unfortunate. And, uh, was the hangar there? The Schwank, yeah, yeah. Uh, good bands. We used to go in there. That's where you That's where you go for the good beer, and you'd go for the good bands. And when I say good bands, it wasn't, you know, uh, the Mike and Joe that were playing the pop hits. That was the ones that you, yeah. you could listen to somebody rock for yeah. uh, 10, 15 minutes and get into something kind of deeper. You know, you guys have had fantastic bands. on. I was really excited to hear Marcus King band. A couple yeah. was that last week, maybe yeah. two weeks ago, yeah. whatever that was. Yeah. They're awesome. Um, 
yeah, they are they're really good. So I I hung out a lot at uh, the cellar, which oh, was yeah. yeah, I love the cellar. Yeah, that's uh, they had good Caucasians go in there. You get a, a, a good Caucasian um, yeah. and a Bloody Mary. So we hung out in there quite a bit. We uh, I went through I went through the architecture program as well at SIU, and we would go to our like our three hour labs. We show up for the beginning of the lab. We'd walk down to the cellar. Me and this other guy, we'd go in there and play uh, shuffleboard mm-hmm. and drink beers for two hours, and then go back to the lab and check out. Good times we, in Carbondale. Yeah. That seems like a responsible student thing to do. Uh, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't do that once or twice, or at least maybe go go and have a drink before a lab, maybe, yeah. and then class went a little bit easier sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I don't advocate for that at all. I feel like I need to throw some sort of disclaimer out there. Like, no, you definitely shouldn't do what I did. Yeah. I say, to get through your class, how many beers do I have to have first? <laughs> it's brutal. Sometimes it's <laughs> tough. That's great. Uh, so before we cut you loose, is there anything maybe we haven't touched on that you want to make sure you get out there? Yeah, one, only one other thing. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to keep pushing the product here, but I do want to throw out that in the summers, I'm pretty excited because this will be the first year I'm going to do it is the, uh, we do a land surveying camp. We do college for kids here at Parkland. And one of them is a land surveying camp. So you got to be 14 to 18 and we allow only 14 students. And for a week, you're going to learn how to do a little bit of surveying on campus. So super excited to be a part of that one. Um, that's, that's through the Parkland community education office. And that's coming up here. We're, we're, I think in the middle of registration for that. Um, and I think I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent here, but I'm pretty sure that, uh, we've got at least a large portion of the fee waived because we have a lot of professional support from our state association. They were, they jumped in, uh, pretty big and they're, they gave us some money. And so we have, we can, we're, we're going to incorporate drones into that, but again, doing it the right way. So don't worry about that, you know. Uh, and then we're going to do learn how to survey for 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds. Wow, that's awesome. How would somebody find out about that? Uh, Parkland College Community Education. And then you hop into the catalog and get in. you look for the land survey camp. And I'm really excited about it because the community education does a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, my, my nine-year-old, I think he's going to take part in quite a bit. Uh, you know, they have cooking classes, week-long stuff, that kind of Lego camps, man. And it, it's, they do cool things there. Wow. That's cool, man. You guys are doing some great stuff. Thank you. I feel like you're uh, starting the pipeline early. That That is fantastic. You guys are going to have a, a jump on most other states pending yeah, we, COVID-19 letting you guys actually make these things happen. We may not see the dividends on this for quite some time, but you know, um, as you guys have said several times, this is our fault and we should have started this 20 years ago, but here we are. So let's fix it now. Awesome. Well, Corey, thank you so much again for being here. Kudos to you and, uh, and your staff for the great things you guys are doing and, uh, and for just being involved. I mean, you're the state and uh, the profession is lucky to have, uh, have guys like you. So thank you again. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And thanks to uh, COVID-19 for another social distancing episode. Check us out at thegeoholics.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for The Geoholics. And be sure to download all our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify. And so I don't forget, uh, download our app. Yep, we got an app. 
uh, Ryan, Ryan's favorite thing. And you can download that from the Land Surveyors United website, which is, of course, landsurveyorsunited.com. Email us at info at the geohogs.com if you're interested in being a friend of the program or a guest on a future show. We're currently booking into, I believe, the last week of May. So uh, we, we've got some openings coming up. So give us a shout. And let's have Cole Lars take us out with Dangerous, available on Spotify and Apple Music. Be sure to check out the videos on YouTube, follow their Facebook page, page, I'm sorry. And of course, in these trying times, support local as best you can. And most importantly, stay safe and healthy, everybody. Thanks again to our friends of the program. Please be sure to check out Land Surveyors United at landsurveyorsunited.com, Unifly at unifly.arrow, Bad Elf at bad-elf.com, and Parkland College at parkland.edu forward slash surveying.